This is episode number 19, Discovering Self-Worth with Holly Listening. Welcome. My name is Ola Glohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of adoptees and foster youth who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we start today's episode, I'd like to make a quick announcement and introduce our upcoming event, Hear Me Now, in Austin, Texas, on June 23rd. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to connect with hundreds of other people who are all going through a similar journey that you are? Well, this is your chance to do so. For more details, please go to overcomingodds.today forward slash hear me now. Now, let's get back to our guest. She felt unworthy. Shame combined with a lack of belonging began to take over her life. A decision had to be made. It was either to find a way to overcome the obstacles in front of her or suffer for the rest of her life. Tune in as we talk about adoption, tips and tricks for successful relationships, meditation, perspectives on pain and suffering, and the importance of not judging others. Without further ado, Please welcome Holly Listening. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to um, share your experience with us. And what I would like to do is start off by having you share a little bit about your past and the reasons why you got adopted and a little bit about your relationship with your adoptive parents. Well, Oleg, it's great to be with you today. I'm I love your work. Um, I was born in 1963, and I was born to an unmarried woman. She was 18 years old, and um, back in those days, uh, you usually don't uh, keep your child. Um, I was part of the baby scoop era. Uh, She spent uh, some months in a maternity home, and uh, I was born in May, and uh, I think she signed the papers perhaps a week later, Mm. um, relinquishing me, and I was adopted about three to four weeks later by a a childless couple, and I'm not sure where I was for those first three or four weeks. Um, I sense that I would have been in a foster care situation. Um, but I've really not dug into where I was those those first few weeks. That's something that that I might be looking at here in the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, I was raised as an only child. I had no siblings. Um, I was it was a very quiet home. Um, my adoptive mother did not work. She stayed home with me. Um, my dad uh, was an engineer. And uh, worked regular, you know, business hours. Mm -hmm. Life was very quiet and isolated and 
um, really quite lonely being an only child. And they, they did not have, my adoptive parents did not have family in the area. And they were um, isolated themselves. And I spent a lot of time alone as a child. But I didn't have any comparison point mm-hmm. to, I mean, I didn't know how to compare what it would be like to have siblings, not having them. Um, so I was not close to my adoptive mother. Um, she was not a real loving person. Um, in fact, I did find out that she really was okay not having any children, but she went along with the adoption because that was a societal expectation in mm. that time. And so, yeah, there was a sense of uh, resentment with her. Whose decision was it? Was it your adoptive dad's decision or your mom's decision to adopt? Well, I think it was probably my dad's idea. I mean, I wasn't there, but I think it was more my dad's idea. But she felt obligated to go along with it because they had been married for 10 years and had not been successful. She was not able to conceive. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think that it was probably a joint decision, but, um, I'm not sure that she was entirely honest, you know, with my dad on her feelings. Mm -hmm. So, um, which led to, uh, her not bonding with me and me not bonding with her. And, um, I was, Bonded with my father, but not with her. Mm. So um, there, we never clicked, never connected. And you know, as I got older, I just, um, I just didn't trust her. Um, wasn't comfortable around her, and she wasn't real crazy about me either. So um, mm-hmm. it was kind of tough because it, it was just, you know, I love my dad, but. Um, and I know he loved me, especially when I was little. But, you know, as I got older, he always kind of deferred to her and her wishes. And so I think there was almost a jealousy factor with my adoptive mom um, mm. regarding me. So um, you, you bring up a good point regarding um, just family relationships in general. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I noticed throughout my time is that some of the kids that got around that got adopted around the same time that I did, they've had relation, family relationship problems. Mm-hmm. And it, it was very similar to what you experienced when a child would either bond with one parent and not the other or wouldn't bond with either of them. So what I would like to know is that for those who maybe are in a similar situation that you were, mm-hmm. do you have any advice for them as far as what can they do to either s- strengthen their that bond or what are some things they can do to essentially get over some of those barriers? Well, I would highly recommend a good therapist, a good family therapist. Um, I know as a kid, I, it wasn't until I became a teenager and things got really bad, I requested that we go to therapy, but my adoptive parents would never agree to that. Um, but you know, most people generally, I think really want to have a good family relationship and really want to work on things. And, 
And there's nothing wrong with the child and the family saying, hey, can we all get together? And can we get a, maybe another perspective on this? Because an outside perspective from a professional can, can give you ideas on bonding as a family that you wouldn't normally know about. So, mm-hmm. um, and you know that the thing about suggesting therapy, you got to be careful that you're not suggesting therapy because you want to blame somebody and say, well, we got to go to therapy because you're messed up. Mm-hmm. You have to come at it as I want things to work for us as a family. We all have things we can work on. Let's, let's do it for us and not be finger pointing at anybody, mm. you know? So a lot of people will not want to go to therapy if they feel a lot of shame and think there's something wrong with them. So, um, you know, the approach on that, it has to be a gentle approach where you're not using a blaming type of approach. So I love that you said that because I I think it it does partially break that bias for therapy Mm -hmm. because, you know, when I was younger, I... I didn't really understand what it what therapy truly meant. I mm-hmm. I I got a brief definition of what it was, but I I didn't see um the impact on myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important for people to recognize as well is that you know, therapy it, it does work, but it it only works if you are willing to make it work. It it a hundred percent starts with you, and yeah. it's not one of those things where you just go in and, um, you know, you just hope that it will fix your problems. Just show up, yeah, because mm-hmm. there's work involved in it, and it and going in it, thinking you know with this shameful attitude that oh well I'm broken or there's something wrong with me, that's not the way to go into it either. Um, and so it really depends on the approach. That. Mm-hmm you go into it it's 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 work mm-hmm. it, it is commitment so i know that in your so in your submission on their website you had mentioned that um briefly about your relationship with your mother mm-hmm. and one of the things you mentioned in that was how she was abusive Do, mm-hmm. how, how does one stand up and speak up within a family mm. is, is that and i did not do well with that I didn't. Um, You know, and the thing with kids is when I was a younger kid, I was pretty compliant. And I would just, I would be compliant and then I would go kind of hide out in my room. Because if I hid out in my room, I could avoid problems. Um, I just, you know, kept my head down and tried to keep myself invisible, kept me out of problems. But then as you know, you get older, um, I started to get... uh, rebellious and and start to fight back. And I think that that was good for me because that sense of rebelliousness and anger to the situation I was in, I think kept me alive. Mm. Um, I was suicidal at one point as a young teen. And I remember getting angry thinking, I'm not going to let her do this to me. I I'm going to survive just just despite her. And that's that sense of anger and and fighting back is, I think, what kept me going. So um, every situation's different. Uh, and I left I left home at seventeen and never went back. Um, I I was still in high school when I left home. So did you did you live on your own at the time, or did you have a 
a support group that helped you out through those years or how did well, that work out? Um, I had a boyfriend at the time and his family was supportive of me, but I did rent a room. Um, I was 17 at the time. I rented a room from a lady in our neighborhood and, um, she was a widower and I, I worked, I worked at a preschool and went to high school and I, I paid her a very nominal fee, a monthly fee and rented a room from her, um, up until I turned 18. And then I got married when I turned 18 and, and, uh. But so I was on my own for a little while. Hmm. I, I've read recently um, an article that was talking about a lot about loneliness and isolation and how it leads to some of the things potentially self-harm and suicide and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things I would like to, for us to dive into. And what the way I would like to start that off is by you telling us what caused it initially. What caused your isolation? And I know that you said it was the relationship with your parents played a good mm-hmm. portion of it. Was Were there any other things along the way that made you become more isolated throughout the process? Um, I think I did not have a very, I had a very low self-esteem and there was a lot of shame. And a lot of that was because of, of the, dysfunctional parenting I had. Um, I felt like there was something wrong with me. I didn't feel like I was worthy. Um, I didn't feel like I fit in any place. And um, that made me feel either with friends or, um, you know, in the neighborhood uh, with the kids. I just felt like an oddball. Um, like I didn't fit in. And so that sense of shame was very pervasive and it's really hard to overcome that. How did, how did you deal with it? Um, I got out. I, like I was saying, I, I, I decided I got angry and, um, I decided that I, I needed to fight back and that, um, I wasn't going to let that sense of shame win, um, that I was going to grow up and be responsible and have my own family. If I didn't have a family here, I would go and create my own family. And, um, I'm not even really sure that came from someplace deep inside of me though. And it was when I was a teen and uh, a young adult. So, Hmm. It's interesting that you say that because, you know, like for me, for example, um, I just like many other people have or or I guess still do um, experience depression at times. I think we mm. all do. Oh, yeah. And I think what's important to learn within that is that I think a lot of depression can be cured through self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Um but at the same time, you know, that took me that took me years to figure that out. Well, it's it's hard to self-reflect when you're depressed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because your thinking is already skewed. Yep. So, so I yeah. I used to do that, and just recently I started to question question it even more and try and understand how does one develop that mindset? Mm. How does one become 
more um, observant of him or herself. What so for example, what when you go through a moment like that, mm-hmm. what type of questions do you ask yourself? What type of um, I don't know. Maybe in your case, you look back at your memories, your happiest times.、Um, do do you tr- are there times that you would try to forget about the current state of mind by snapping back to a happy place, or do you always go through it and try and understand why did this thing happen by asking yourself a certain set of questions? Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I do. I mindfulness, and I don't really, I can't say I live in the past because the past hasn't always been comfortable. I think we can learn from it, but、um, mindfulness is about being present in the here and now. And、um, I know that, and something I'm getting better at, but I haven't always been good at it. And、um, And you know you slide. You don't. Some weeks you're good at it, and some weeks you just it stinks. But I will ask myself, okay, what what are my feelings are? What are my emotions right now? Because that is something I've really had a hard time. It's even figuring out what I feel,、mm-hmm. being able to articulate the feelings. And I don't know if you've ever seen those wheels that have all the different feelings on them. Yep. Those are helpful because sometimes we get just so jumbled up. We don't even know where we're at. We know we're upset.、Um, we know it feels horrible, but we can't articulate it. So, I try to, I try to stop and be feel it in my body. Where am I feeling it in my body? What are my emotions? And I just try to give myself some space, you know.、Um, and you usually have to be alone to do that、mm-hmm. uh, in this crazy busy world. And Uh, even if you have to lock yourself in a bathroom sometimes, <laughs> work or something. I mean,、um, just to, to to where am I feeling this? What am I feeling?、Um, maybe writing down some of those feelings,、um, and remembering for me is even if I feel awful today, this is going to change. I'm not going to feel like this forever.、Mm. And that's that's the main thing. That's the only thing. That we can guarantee is that things change. Temporary. Yeah,、mm-hmm. everything is temporary, and if you feel horrible today, you might feel horrible tomorrow. But you know, in three or four days, you're going to feel different, and、um, and even moment by moment, you might wake up feeling horrible in the morning, and then just by noon, be in a different place. So it's the sense that it's not going to stay like this.、Mm-hmm. I love that approach because that's what I've been using over the past couple of years when it comes to stress.、Mm-hmm. I, I think stress, most of the time, actually all the time, I think、mm-hmm. it is temporary. I,、mm-hmm. I think oftentimes we stress over things that we know,、um, you, you know, it's not going to kill you.、Um, it, it's, it's like it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. It does feel it, like it sometimes.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, but it's something that truly does get over. And I think what you just mentioned, by sitting down and reflecting, well, you know, where does the stress come from? What can I do on my end to minimize it? it I think that's how you essentially overcome some、mm-hmm. of those barriers when it comes to that. 
Yeah, and and doing that, you comes along with self compassion, and that's something um, a lot of us have been talking about. I know, you know, Anne Heffern talks about that a lot. Um, I've been studying that too. About for those of us who didn't get a lot of compassion as children, mm-hmm. and we have to learn how to reparent ourselves because that leaves a big hole. And um, it's hard. It's hard to dig deep and find that um, and, and, and nurture yourself. Um, but it really does work when you do it. It really, really does work. So. Um, Can you tell me a, a little bit about what you just said regarding compassion when it comes mm-hmm. to relationships? How have you been able to use some of those tips and tricks to strengthen some of those bonds? Because I know that, especially for those who have been adopted, you know, relationships, that's a tricky thing. It can be. And I think a lot of it, in my case, a lot of it comes from trust. And because there were so many times in my life where I was misguided, so therefore my, my trust was gone. Completely. Yeah. Let down. Mm-hmm. People didn't show up. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so with something like that, you know, it, it, I, I'm still learning how to do those things. So when, it, when I do come to an opportunity, when there's a new relationship that can be formed, it, the process, it's, it's everywhere, you know, yeah. because here, part of me thinks, okay, trust, it can be developed over time then maybe you should give it a timeline for the relationship. Right. You know, your yeah. phase one should take this long. Phase two should take this long. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> so I, you, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I've because always, sometimes we're all or nothing, you know? Yes. Yep. So <laughs> I've always wondered how do other people view this? How do other people view those relationships? Especially people that have been, um, misguided or their trust was broken at a young age, especially at a young age, because yeah. as you get older, it gets even more difficult. I, I I think so. I've noticed that with myself too. And I'm no expert. Let me tell you, I work on this every single day. And like you, my trust issues are, I, I'm going to, I'm going to struggle with these trust issues until my last day here on this earth, because that's just the way it is. Um, and accepting that, you know, accepting that you've got just seeing and accepting that you, Hey, you know, I got trust issues. That's just a huge step right there. Mm -hmm. Um, instead of blaming everybody else, because sometimes we will blame everybody else rather than take responsibility for our baggage that we're carrying. So um, I have learned about boundaries. I have not been good with boundaries. Um, (laughs) I don't think (laughs) many of us have been. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, I just wanted someone to love me for so long. I just wanted to be close and... um, just would allow the wrong people into my life, tell people too much, um, smother people or allow people to smother me. Um, those boundaries, the best thing we can do for ourselves is maybe to read and learn and, and, and put in place those boundaries that protect ourselves 
And those boundaries will protect the people we love too. So um, that's an ongoing thing uh, for self-compassion, I think, is, is setting up the boundaries that keep us healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you, you said, uh, a timeline, you know, with relationships, uh, just it takes time to gather trust. You just can't throw all of your trust in there right away. Mm-hmm. Um, People have to earn that trust. That's something we all have to. We have to earn it and show that we can be trusted. So, Sounds like within your process and a lot of the things that you have gone through, vulnerability is a huge aspect mm-hmm. of it all. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember your first time when you were maybe not even vulnerable with other people, but more so yourself mm-hmm. and what, what, how that felt, the things you went through. Mm. Yeah. Um, it dug up a lot of pain and grief. Um, you know, for me, I spent a lot of years protecting myself kind of guarded, but I'd be guarded one minute and then I would have no boundaries the next. Um, and once I started um, being vulnerable with myself, I started to peel off the layers like an onion almost of, of the grief that was underneath there. Um, and I'm still working on that right now, actually, <laughs> with my therapist is, is this grief. And she calls me on my stuff and it's like, yeah, you're changing the subject again. <laughs> You're asking me about myself. You're, you know, she's like, let's, this is about you. Um, so that's something I, I work on to this day and always will. Um, but I don't, I know that when I have somebody be vulnerable with me, that is so touching to me and it gives me permission to be vulnerable with them. Mm. So I think that that's huge for a relationship and that's really the only way we can have intimacy with anybody, um, whether it be a romantic relationship or even just a, a friendship. Um, it gives a sense of humanity to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, having saying, yeah, I know, I, I feel that too, is sharing the real parts of yourself. So, What are, what are some takeaways that you can share with us as you are going through this process? Mm. that um, I'm noticing when people aren't vulnerable and I notice it right away now and um, and what what are the what are the signs within that what what sticks what sticks out to you what sticks out is it's it's a surface type of um, relationship you don't get any depth into the relationship. You talk about the weather, you talk about the news, what's going on. There's no real sense of connection. Um, some, but they're just not willing to go there. And you can't force people to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's their comfort level. Um, but I'm now that I'm recognizing that in myself, I see it in other people. And I'm choosing now... I'm choosing my tribe and my people more carefully. I choose 
to have closer connections with people who I feel are vulnerable with me and that I can be vulnerable with them. It, it, it goes for a, a well-rounded relationship and um, builds on that trust and safety for me. So, hmm. How, wow, that's, it's interesting that you mentioned this. How does that change your perspective of the people that aren't willing to be vulnerable or does it does that does that um what i'm trying to say is does that evoke any sort of judgment or... well, of course it does. i don't want it to mm-hmm. and we all judge and you we I, I gotta work really hard not to to do that because um it's only human that we judge and and I think when we judge other people, then we're taking the attention off of ourselves too, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we judge. I think we judge because we don't want to face our own stuff. And we usually judge people on our own stuff. You yep. know, we project our stuff on the other people. Yep. So um, when I find myself doing that, you know, you have, have you heard the, the saying that people are mirrors? For ourselves no if if we see something in someone that we don't like or irritates us we need to look at ourselves because sometimes we're mirroring something about them that we don't like about ourselves that maybe we need to take a look at and investigate a little bit deeper so um i i like that a lot because one of the things that I try and do is that, you know, oftentimes when you get in somebody's way, like for example, someone's having a bad day uh-huh. and you just happen to be there truly at a wrong place, wrong time. Mm-hmm. And when the other person lets their anger on you, what I've started to do um, within the past couple of months is that I take a step back. And I try and understand I'm not the one that is having the problem or caused yeah, the problem. That's I think excellent. oftentimes it truly is the other person. Because if you look if you look at it and this this is not this is meant without any sense of judgment or anything, but you know, when you look at something like that, it's that you're willing to take a step back and try and understand, well, <laughs> what could I have truly done wrong? Mm-hmm. By by standing in a place yeah. where, you know, a conversation or a walk by or anything like that could have been avoided. So, and then what I try and do is if I know that person, I try and reach out to them. And I ask them, you know, is, is, is everything okay? Is mm-hmm. there anything that you want to talk about? And most of the time, it happens to be that the person is you know, having a bad day because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, they're in pain somehow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and I know, and I sense that you're similar to me. You're pretty sensitive with people, and we absorb that. And we, if we don't catch ourselves, we'll absorb it and, and, you know, blame ourselves. And then that spirals out of control. But that's great that what you bring up about stepping back and it's making that space. So you're, you're checking your reactivity, you know, you're making a space before you have any reaction. Mm-hmm. And, 
And then in, in that space, you, you can find a way to have compassion for that other person. Mm-hmm. So, and, um, no, I, yeah. agree, I agree with you and acknowledge them for who they are and, mm-hmm. and really just trying to understand, um, you know, oftentimes for me, it, ha- it even happens with people that I don't know. I may not know the person's first yeah. name. I may not yeah. know their profession or their background. And I've also come to a point where it's kind of interesting to look at topics like courage, for example, because I I don't it, it's not something that I fear anymore. It's it's something that just it just happens. Like mm-hmm. I, I I feel in fact I feel more comfortable oftentimes starting a conversation with someone that I've never even met before mm-hmm. versus the other way. Yeah. Yeah. And I can understand that. I, I think, I, I think the thing is there's not an emotional connection with that person. So sometimes I think it's safer for those of us who have trust issues um, to talk to somebody that we're not already emotionally connected to. Mm-hmm. Because it's a little bit safer that we're not going to get as hurt, mm. you know. Interesting. Because, yeah, if if you're not, if you're not as emotionally attached to this person, they can't do as much damage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, I think that's something that we we tend to do. Um, I, but I just love that you brought up the reactions because I was I was going to bring that up too and about how we react because that's what we're responsible for that's the only thing we're responsible for is our reaction Mm -hmm. and how and we don't even have to react we have that choice we we can choose to react but that big that pause that we put in there before we choose to make any type of reaction is huge so Hmm. no it's true i i 100% 100% agree with you. I I think silence in most instances is the most important and undervalued mm-hmm. thing within our lives. And it can also be the loudest. Too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I want to dive briefly into reflection because mm-hmm. um, that's something that you have done for quite some time. And the first thing that I want to ask you is that when did you realize the importance of self-reflection? Was there a specific time that it kind of made, made, made sense to you? You know, I started off self-reflecting, I, not as deep as I do now, but in an, an immature type way as a child, just because I had so much time alone. And I spent a lot of my time, um, I, I was a bookworm. I, I read a lot. I wrote stories. I journaled. I kind of lived, sometimes lived in my own little fantasy world. So I think I had to have self-reflection um, like growing up like that. Um, and then after I became a parent, uh, self-reflection became something I had to do to to have patience with the kids, juggling a job and kids and home life. Um, and that's morphed now where I'm at now into, I need to have this to be emotionally healthy and, um, 
so it's morphed, you know, it started off early, but it's, I, I do it differently now. Um, maybe more maturely now, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that, I, I think that the best way, and I still have a child left at home and that's been my big thing is I want to be emotionally healthy for her. Um, because I'm an adoptive parent now too. And for me to be healthy, I can be a better, a better parent for her. And that's been a major motivation for me. Hmm. So what, what is your routine? Do you, do you journal? Do you meditate? Um, Um, is there something that you, that you have found that works better than the others? I'm so inconsistent, Oleg. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I um meditation really helps I I think and um and meditation it doesn't have to be the kind where you're sitting on a pillow and you're chanting I mean you could just go out and sit in your backyard and watch the birds and watch the clouds go overhead just having that silence um, and like getting in touch with your body, like I was saying earlier, where am I feeling this at? What are my emotions right now? Um, grounding myself. Um, I I had some time over Christmas break where um, I did a study program when I was off of work, and I would get up every morning and I would give myself an hour to to go over this study program, listen to the, the YouTube talks, read the book, and then I would journal on the topics. And um, the week that I did that was really so helpful. So to me, that's ideal, where you can give yourself an hour every morning, but that's not always <laughs> doable in mm-hmm. real life. So, yeah. Interesting. How do you recreate those feelings of love when things aren't going your way, hmm. do, do you have a specific, like a, you know, in my case, it's a memory that I always go back to or memories. Mm-hmm. I always go back mm-hmm. to the memories of me doing my happiest times, whether that was um, young or yesterday or even sometime today and try and recall like, okay, these are the things that happened you know, life is truly is great. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's no, um, almost no, no point is not the right way to say it because there's always a, a point. There's, there's always, always a learning lesson. Exactly. To be learned from all yeah. of that. I, I will step outside what I, I've done. I've done this for the last probably 10 or 20 years. There's always something beautiful in nature no matter where you're at, even if you're in the middle of a city, Mm. you could just step outside and look up at the clouds or go look at some plants growing. I just look at something in nature and that connection to nature. Look for something beautiful in your surroundings, no matter where you're at. And if you can find something that's beautiful, it gives me a sense of peace. Um, And it kind of gets me back out of that bad place that my head has gone off into some other direction and it kind of resets me to look for something beautiful. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Absolutely. So. Do you think too much reflection 
it can be a bad thing. Like I'm just kind of thinking in in my like head and in your head. <laughs> ex exactly, and reflecting <laughs> on it. Well, oh, you know, yeah. here I am. I could sit and analyze and try and break down every decision I made that um, were a part of this larger thing. How oh, how yeah. do how do you snap out of that and finally just come to okay? I've sat here. I've analyzed it all. There's nothing I could do about it. I just have to live with what I've created. Right. Oh, man, and I do that. Oh, that's <laughs> terrible because I do. I overanalyze. I will pick apart <laughs> and overanalyze things till, you know, I, I think um, giving yourself a limit, you know, almost a, an actual time limit or a day limit. Okay, I've. I've obsessed about this for an hour now and I just need to stop. I just stop. I mean, I'll, I'll literally say to myself, stop, you know, and it loops, you know how that looping goes around in your yep. head. It, it's mm -hmm. the loop around mm -hmm. and I just will say stop. And then that's where mindful come, comes in. I'll, I'll go, you can, you can go so do something like wash a dish or something and then pay attention to actually what you're doing. Um, just being mindful in the moment. Uh, um, make a cup of tea. Pay pay attention to making that cup of tea, or washing that dish, or even doing a load of laundry, or take a walk. But you got to do something different than what you were doing. Mm. You have to kind of remove yourself. Um, it, it doesn't always work for me. It loops around, <laughs> and I have to start the process. All <laughs> so. Yeah. Hmm. You you brought up a interesting point, and this is regard to parenting. And what I would like to know is, what kind of impact has adoption had on you and you as a parent? Well, I think it's had an enormous. Um, effect on me. I mean, like, but like I say, I don't have a comparison point. I don't know what it would feel like to have not been given up um, and not been adopted. But I think it's definitely, definitely shaped who I am and how I respond or have responded and my choices. Um, I think it's been huge. As far as how it's affected my parenting, one of my main goals ever since I had my first child 34 years ago is I want to be the kind of parent that I needed that I didn't mm. get. And I want to give my kids that things that I didn't get. I, I want them to know they can trust me, that I, I love them with, um, there's no conditions on my love. I just love them because they exist and that's enough. So there, that's where I've came from with my parenting. And sometimes I've been too lenient. Um, because I just, you know, you don't want them to be mad at you, but yet you have to set the guidelines. Mm -hmm. Um, so if anyway, I probably leaned against being a little bit too lenient with my kids. Um, but you know, who, who of us are perfect on that? So, <laughs> um, it's always a work in progress. It is always a work in progress. But yeah, that's, that's where it's affected my parenting is because I wanted to give them 
um, a sense of stability and unconditional love. So that's been always been a very strong, strong drive for me mm-hmm. personally. Uh, final thought for today's episode when odds are completely against you what are some core fundamental principles that you always refer to that is just temporary it's not going to feel like this forever um, things are going to change and they can change rapidly or they could take a few days but things are never going to be like this forever. So how, only how do you embrace that change? I, I'm I know sorry? That, how do you embrace change? I know that mm-hmm. you, you mentioned the fact how things are temporary and um, I'm assuming, you know, visualizations and things like that play a big role mm-hmm. because it mm-hmm. puts you in that state and you can visualize, okay, this is who I am. I haven't made it there yet, but that's, who I, you've mentally prepared yourself to mm-hmm. be there. Are there yeah. other things that you can do to help you embrace any change that you have in life? Well, you have to go with the flow because, you know, change is the one thing that is guaranteed that there's going to be change and you, you, you can try to fight against it. Um, or you can just flow with it. And the harder you fight against it, the more miserable you're going to be. Um, you have to be flexible. You, you have to, life is going to drag you whether you want it to or not. And you have to go with it and accept that it's not going to stay static. It's always going to change. So mm. kind of a sense of acceptance to just mm-hmm. go with like following into a river and going with it. So not fighting it. That's yeah. Important. Wow. Yeah. Cause you get exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's phenomenal. Well, Holly, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and to share your experience. It, it, it's been a pleasure to hear from oh, you and everything you that all. you've done and who you are. Thank you. It's been great. I'm really enjoyed this time to talk with you. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of our latest episodes along with featured stand up and speak up stories and ways you can be involved with overcoming odds. Also, I highly recommend that you check out our upcoming event, Hear Me Now, in Austin, Texas on June 23rd. For more information, please visit overcomingodds.today forward slash hear me now. Once again, thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next week.